All right. Today we have two very interesting people with us for our podcast. Two college friends with the passion of contributing to bettering the society. Two perseverant engineers who spent endless sleepless nights building prototypes to realize their dreams. Two founders who today are leading a talent intelligence company that is transforming learning and development across the world. What began as a seed idea is today showcased across a product tech library with the largest number of simulations in the world. If you haven't guessed it as yet, we have the founders of End Paradigm with us. Welcome to the podcast, John and Beatrack. We can't wait to hear you share your journey that began on campus in the first year of your MBA. So to start with, can you please tell us a little about your educational background? And did you work anywhere before starting End Paradigm? Hi, Amisha. So we, yeah, so as you're aware, we both were uh, computer science engineers once upon a time. Um, and we both met at Kochi uh, University. Right. And, uh, you know, we had come down from Rajasthan. Uh, I was based out of Kochi itself. And, uh, you know, it was four very fantastic years that we spent there with the rest of our batch. Uh, and my memory of me at that point in time was, you know, how he was the guy who got all the simple concepts or who, who got all the concepts and simplified them, uh, you know, very quickly. Right. So while a lot of us were still struggling and grappling with a lot of complex problems, uh, for example, there were subjects like engineering mechanics where, you know, uh, hardly anyone understood the subject uh, ever. Right. But we very quickly figured out that there are only three things you need to know to crack this subject. Right? So he figured out that right up front. And he was always getting the highest scores continuously through the batch. And it was towards the end of the course that I figured out that this is this was his mantra. Right? Uh, so that was my uh, starting memory of week uh, at that point in time. So, Veet, uh, tell us, when did you know that you wanted to ditch the corporate world and turn on the printer? This is very interesting. So, first of all, hi, Richard. <laughs> this, is hi, a, <laughs> this is an interesting point, right? Because it's not that one fine day you get up and you say like, okay, you want to be an entrepreneur. Uh, like we had seen what people were doing and during college days only, we just had this idea, you know, what? someday I will do that. But a lot of people have this idea and it never turns to sure. something. Uh, but the biggest thing that I did was, I think uh, at the end of my two and a half year, 10 years at Infosys, uh, where we were working. And John was also working along with me. So we studied together, we worked together. And we kind of said, you know what, if you want to start something, we need to learn what other things can happen. Because we both are techies and we are like, okay, we understand technology, but we don't understand business. So uh -huh. we said, you know what, uh, why don't we do an MBA? Because that's the best way for us <laughs> to, you know what, understand what business is. And then maybe we'll start something of our own. So that was the first seed of what we did, so we, we put down our papers, John went to IIM Ahmedabad to do his MBA, I went to Virginia Tech to do my MBA, and it was by the end of first year when John and we were conversing all the while, but I think John started the conversation like, you know what, it's the time when we do certain things, because now in the second year placements would be looming and etc, etc. So that is when the John called me, and I think John, do you recall what happened in that conversation? Yeah, I think it was a very interesting time because, uh, you know, uh, Richard, you might recall, uh, you know, it was a very MOOCA world even back at that point in time. Yes, of course. Right. And then uh, we were also uh, figuring out what we wanted to do. So, uh, 
you know, Veet was very clear that he wanted to come back to India after his USMD, which is a very rare decision, right? Uh, yes. So, uh, we thought if you are now anyway going to start up a business, why don't we do our internships together, right? So, Veet actually came back all the way to India after his first year MBA. Uh, and we both uh, interned at a, a communication startup in uh, Baroda. Uh, and we spent wow. two months together and then we went back uh, back to the US again. You know, I must say that uh, people plan to do MBAs because they know which field they want to go to. You all two decided to do an MBA because you wanted to learn the business with an idea which was already there pre-MBA. This is one of the very interesting reasons to do an MBA. And, and that is why one of the things we did is we did not just say we will specialize in finance or HR or something <laughs> else. We just said we want to learn everything and I think we dedicated ourselves to learn everything which is out there for MBAs to offer us. For all the people who are aspiring to do their MBA, this is one of a very key takeaway. Very interesting one. So, and, that, and, and that was the time, I'm sorry, but at, that was the time I think we put down, wrote those letters to our MBA colleges that we are not going to sit in the placement because see that becomes that pivotal moment, right? We are saying that we are saying no to the jobs. It is decided because MBA colleges are not going to give us jobs anymore. So that is what True. we did right after our internship. Wow. And how did your colleges react? I think for colleges, uh, it's a very cynical view, but for colleges, if the denominator reduces in their placement percentage, yeah. that is perfectly fine. So we were like, okay, these guys don't want to do anything and they have given us the letters. We are good. Oh, wow. Interesting. So wh what is... Uh, I think one commonality through and through from the start is you all exactly knew where you were going and you stuck in the path. Yeah, and I think I, maybe that's very interesting. So that, yeah, go ahead. I'll just I'll just maybe rephrase that a little bit. It's it's not that we knew exactly where we wanted to go, uh, right? We had a broad idea that this is what we wanted to do, uh, but it took quite a long time for us to get that the idea that we wanted to start up with, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so we uh, spent some time in the first years, uh, we did our internships together. Even at that point in time, we didn't really have a business idea yet. Post that, uh, you know, uh, uh, one of our, my juniors on campus approached me, uh, one of my batchmates approached me to do, uh, uh, to create a simulation on campus for a business school festival. Uh, okay. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the, we as students, we had a very, very big uh, college festival called Confluence. Uh, but we and we knew that we wanted to hold a strategy war game, but we really didn't know how to actually execute it, right? So a uh, few of us got together and we decided let's make a great simulation for this war game. And then uh, over maybe about 20, 30 sleepless nights uh, with a bunch of first year juniors, you know, we cooked up a team and then got to work. And somewhere along the way, we kind of, you know, somehow figured out how to make a simulation, right? And Veet and I were also talking at that point in time. And, you know, we said, hey, this seems looks like a very interesting idea. And uh, at the same time, we had uh, professors and a few other people coming and saying that this is a very monetary mm -hmm. thing. And there is money uh, oh. because they, they pay money for. So at that point in time, you pay money to, uh, you know, a lot of simulations from the West, simulation companies from the West. <laughs> uh, so they thought that this is a very uh, monetizable uh, thing if someone here could figure out how to make a simulation uh, then there's definitely a market for it uh, and that is what Veet and I uh, kind of started off thinking about right so uh, we we brainstormed with each other uh, and then when Veet came back to India 
Uh, then we we spend some time in going around meeting customers, uh, asking them whether it's a good idea or not. Uh, and then at some after a few months, we decided to just take the plunge and build our first solution. So uh, I'm curious, what what got you to interested in learning and development? Yeah, so both uh, both of us, I think, share one common thread there, right? I think uh, it's a passion for simplifying things. Right. Uh, so, uh, when we were in college, we kind of saw how you know the good profs would teach, and the not so good profs would teach, right? And the big difference used to be people are able to explain something to you in a simple and easy manner, right? And we were able to right. make it make it into a storytelling format, or we were able to uh, get you the, to the essence of what you had to learn, get the basics really clear and right, right? Whereas uh, people who didn't do it well uh, would end up overcomplicating the subject, make it really difficult for people right. to understand, uh, and people would get lost in detail. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. So that was a starting point. And even when uh, uh, you know I was working in Infosys, I realized that a lot of my peers, you know, uh, would struggle because uh, they just didn't know the basics clearly enough. Uh, the people who performed mm. well. Uh, they knew the basics, they understood the logic, and they would be able to easily uh, achieve good performance. But the people who didn't have those basics, uh, very quickly they go into an enterprise uh, business application which they need to work on as, a, as an engineer. Uh, and you have millions and millions of lines of code. right? So you get drowned in details. Right. Uh, but if you understand the basics, you understand that the core logic is hardly a few lines. And there's a method and a way of actually architecting and writing the code. So if you know that, then it doesn't matter how many millions of lines of code is there after. Right? So getting that right, understanding right. that this is where people are struggling, this is where people are uh, able to do it well, kind of made us realize the importance of you know uh, being able to make learning simple and easy to do. Uh, so that combined right. with the with the simulation idea that came in B school. Uh, I think that there was definitely a common thread. All right, so let's go down the memory lane. What are your fondest memories of your early days? What everything is so uncertain. Okay, so I, I'll take this. Okay, it's very very hard to pinpoint uh, what was one <laughs> fondest memory. Uh, but I'd Remember. say uh, the first few years, right? We had put our head down and say that you know what, we are building the product, and we are going to keep on improving the product. So first few years went into that. And the team size was very small and we had no idea externally where we are or you know what, where we have reached. And I think we had recently hired a marketing person who applied for a uh, award and okay. uh, he applied for both Deloitte 50, Fast 50 and Fast 500 APAC. And uh, one fine day we just get a mail saying that, you know what, uh, you are part of that. and the please come uh, yeah. for the award ceremony. And we had no idea what rank it was. And uh, I actually asked everybody in the company that who wants to come with me because I don't want to go alone. <laughs> and John was in Mumbai. <laughs> so uh, I just went and we had no idea where we would be placed. And I was like, I, I talked to John and John was like, if we are in uh, between 40 to 50, we should be happy. Uh, but uh, the way Fast 50 works is they kept on announcing from 50th rank. And... Right. <clears throat> 
our name was not announced in the top 10th rank and we were like okay <laughs> this is something big okay we didn't expect this at all and then we ended up at the rank 9 uh, which was i think uh, first time externally people apart from our customers told us that you know what we value you we see where what you have accomplished what you have reached and that i think was one of the fondest uh, memories for me oh wow that is i think that's that's very close to your heart Okay, so let's let let's get into first. Which was your first uh, simulation? Oh, actually, that that's very interesting. I think. Uh, okay. Our see, as as John said, right? We both had a passion of simplifying things, and okay. the, one of the things we looked into when we were doing when when we were our B school is uh, there were professors who were able to do the job very well, and there were professors who could not do the job well. Mm. and there were some professors who use a tool like a simulation tool and when we looked into something like that we like you know what we are techies we can build something like this with a passion of simplifying things so that is when we thought you know what let's do it uh, and the first simulation we built was called learning curve uh, it mm -hmm. was uh, to teach business strategy uh, to higher management in different organizations uh, not to go into too much technicalities but uh, company had only two employees john and me so uh, i went on to work on writing the algorithms and writing the business logic and john went to uh, doing making the front end for it so that was the first for us who is your first uh, investor so we had uh, uh, you know friends family and also a set of angels who were already working with us um, so uh -huh. they were the first first set of investors in the company and your first client Uh, yeah, again a very very interesting story. Like Meet was mentioning okay. when we started off, you know, we started off by saying let's first create the product, right? So Meet uh, was working on the back end, the database, and the whole uh, simulation engine logic. While uh, I was working on the UI, where you know users could work on, uh, users could put their data in um, and punch their numbers in, and then play the simulation. Uh, and it was literally a point where. you know in the daytime uh, i was sitting and making calls with one of other co-founders and at mm -hmm. night then uh, we would really literally sit and make the simulation right so it was almost double hatting at that point in time uh, and when we uh, released our first simulation and we invited a group of companies to come and participate in it uh, we had absolutely mm -hmm. no idea what's going to happen right because we've never mm -hmm. sold any time before in our lives uh like we said we we now have the tech skills and we understand the business aspect of it from our mbas but we really haven't actually sold uh and then we spent uh you know uh we so the way we did it is we just made a big list of everyone we knew in the world and then started sending out a, a program brochure to all of them right saying that this okay. is a simulation and this is what you know if you go through the simulation this is what you will gain from that uh and uh, we said let's do an event at ima uh home campus at that point in time we were also working out of the campus there and uh, we invited a lot of companies to come to send their people to campus to go through the simulation uh, and for the first uh, almost two weeks we we had no idea what's going to happen we were just reaching out to people again and again and again right and then we realized that we had actually given them a real steal uh because we were giving the chance to come to the campus along with three days of accommodation and uh also uh food plus uh you know 
uh, a lot of other value add all in just 10,000 rupees at that point in time per seat. Uh, and uh, wow. companies felt that was great value. Uh, but we weren't very clear about that because the first time that we were doing it and uh, the entire thing then sold out in just three, four days. And uh, we had planned for about 30 to 40 users at that point in time uh, because of the first time we were running this. Uh, but we ended up getting more than 120, 130 of them. Uh, so we said, you know, uh -huh. uh, let's accommodate 2030 in this batch and then let's, uh, you know, call them back later when we are ready once the pilot version is more uh, evolved and once the simulations are more robust. Uh, and we got enough uh, leads from that one program to last us for the next three, four, five batches of simulations that we were running. Right. So I wow. guess. We, we were uh, among the lucky ones there who didn't have to go through, you know, uh, taking a product in the market and pitching it again and again for, for a lot of time before the first customer came. Right. So that gets me to my next question. With Lady Luck on your side, I'm sure there were enough of challenges. But which was your first crisis that you all had to encounter as founders? Good. So there, there are multiple crises and multiple levels of, of crisis, right? Defcon one to Defcon five, but I'll, I'll tell you, <laughs> I'll tell you the crisis which was like almost went like, yeah, we, we can't come back from this. Uh, and it was Ooh. of course a tech challenge, right? Because most of the companies do not have systems and processes in place in the beginning. Right. So as I said, right, we started with a very small team. We were just two people, and we decided, you know what? I needed some help in technical this thing because John was getting more and more into sales. So we got one of our interns to work with us and we had launched program to one of the South Indian uh, colleges where all the professors mm -hmm. were undergoing our simulation. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, the intense thing was John Wesley and he was looking into, you know what, what was the performance of simulation and what is going on. And suddenly he decided, you know what, I don't think the performance is good. I can fix it. And to fix it, I just need to, you know what, remove some of the tables from here. And uh, he assumed that he's doing everything on his local machine, but he was not working on the local machine. He was directly working on the production. And he just Ooh. entirely dropped the uh, database. And uh, then suddenly we started getting calls saying that, you know what, our simulation has stopped working. What is going on? And then I said, okay, you know what, let me log into the database to check what is going on. I'm like, where is the database? Database itself doesn't exist. And then I said, John, you did something. And not John Chariot, John Wesley, right? <laughs> so we had two Johns to create more confusion in the company. Uh, and uh, he's like, yeah, I just did something on my local machine, but uh, unlucky for us, it was connected to the production. As I said, right, we did not have systems and processes in place. Right. Uh, but luckily, uh, I am an extremely cautious person. So what I had done, that is, I had written a script to take the database back up every 10 minutes. Uh, so I said, you know what? Let me see what when was the last backup taken. And I still remember it was taken around seven minutes back. And I said, you know what? Nothing to worry about. Let's just send a message to everybody saying that simulation would be up in five minutes. Uh, oh my everybody God. Uh, took a small break. We said, you know what? We can restore the things, uh, test it, and then roll out in the next 10 minutes. Uh, so, so that happened. Uh, it was a big crisis. Uh, luckily, uh, only we lost seven minutes of data. Uh, so so we, we were good on that side. Uh, but uh, early on, if you face challenges like this, you you learn a lot of lessons and say, you know what, uh, we need to have uh, rock solid systems and places. 
not just in technology right across the board right either it yeah. finance and accounting hr or everywhere right so we built uh, even for a small organization we built uh, processes which would support a very large organization so that was one of the things that we did so all our quality standards everything stems from not just from that one incident but you know what a series of incidents that you know what uh, a small organization does not mean that you should take things lightly so we we always put energy into uh, quality of everything what we do and uh, uh, security privacy uh, everything that comes along with it yeah my heart sank for a minute when you were like we lost our database like, oh my god that's huge yes our hand also sank okay nothing no but uh, is there you know as founders and, and through the journey do you ever look back and say i wish there's some advice that we could have got in our early days that you know we could have done something better or we could have done something differently because for all those aspiring founders who are listening in uh is there anything that you would like to share yeah so if i were to look at the biggest uh learning that i wanted to have right when i started mm-hmm. off it would have to be to find uh to be able to find the right person for each role at that point in time in the journey so being able to define the roles of people and being able to find the right fit uh, and this is something that was a pretty hard learning experience for us over the years uh, because we started off from a, a more a technology background uh, we did our engineering we did our mbas these are all very left brain fields a uh, very logical and analytical mm. quantitative fields right where analysis and logic takes you a long way uh, but there are also a lot of disciplines which are about the right brain which are creative with mm. you know emotional in terms of how you build things together right for example the the aspects around marketing and selling uh, and mm. you know creating a great story for uh you know future employees to join a great story for your customers for your investors etc etc uh, and those are big gaps in a system earlier and it took us a few years to figure out that these are gaps and uh you know the first set of people we even hired for those roles were you know the wrong kind of people uh you know the people themselves were great uh, it was just you know as a founder do you have clarity on whom you need to hire right and right. or do you do you end up putting the wrong person in the wrong job uh, so i think that was one of our big right. learning so over a period of time we did a few things one uh you know finding out uh how to define a role in a more holistic way so that uh, you look for both left brain and right brain skills uh, and putting together a team uh, where, which is both left brain and right brain capability not uh, overly left brain or overly right So that is one of our biggest learnings. So over a period of time, we learned how to do that, and we kind of felt it was such an important aspect that today a core part of a platform, uh, our platforms, uh, you know, vision and value proposition is to be able to help companies figure out who is the right fit fit for a particular role. Yes, absolutely. That's what that's what you do on a day to day basis. Okay, so you've had wins, you've got, you've had. you know challenges but if you had to summarize this with the biggest high that you would go back home with what would few of those be okay so so i i think uh, it all comes down to the kind of problems that we saw were not being solved 
outside. And we said, you know what? We okay. will try to solve it. I'll, I'll just name it a few, right? The first okay. is, uh, see, it's not that we have not seen simulations. Simulations are not new. Simulations mm. is like 40, 50 year technology by the time when we are sitting here, right? Uh, but none of these pot, uh, uh, products were very realistic in nature. And I'm not talking about production mm. simulations, etc. Huh. They are very realistic. They are highly algorithm based. Mm. But when it comes to business simulations or behavioral simulations, uh, they were not as realistic as they should be. And there is always one or the other team who is playing, right, will always figure out a loophole or how to ace the system. And mm -hmm. one of the things that we always took on us is, you know what, building a product which is as close to reality. Mm -hmm. uh, and what that meant was uh, looking into a problem and saying that, you know what, how can I represent this problem into mathematical equations and thus converting to algorithms. And that yeah. relates back to John's point, right? Getting the right set of people because yeah. that kind of skill is not available for every individual which is out there, right? Yeah. So that's the first thing that was a big high for us when, you know what, the simulation mimics the real life. So so that was yeah. a big thing for us. Uh, the second is uh, when uh, COVID hit, right? And it yeah. was a, uh, as Andy Grove said, right? An inflection point, right? It just yeah. changed a lot of things. Uh, for us, it was a big thing because... Uh, we had to figure out how do we deliver this in a different packaging to the end user. And our team got together. We launched our Catalyst Talent Intelligence platform in just one week. The version one got launched in first one week itself. Uh, again, uh, to do something like this, you need a very deep understanding of product. You need a very deep market because what market wants at this time, you need a deep understanding of engineering on how engineering has to change uh, so we did that uh, and it was very very closely followed by our sales team going and started selling those things very fast and our first customer i think we got it by april 10th only if you remember the chronology of the uh, 22nd march is when yes. uh, the complete world or at least india went into lockdown okay. so if you see right it's just less than 20 days when we launched the product our sales team started getting the orders and that's a uh, that's very proud moment for us, right? Because the kind of team right. we have built who could actually uh, accomplish this. Uh, the third is a constant struggle that we had is whenever we were building simulations, uh, it was a very slow process. As I said, right? Because the complexity was very high for us. We wanted to right. be as close as reality. And the problem always is if you're very close to reality, it's going to take significant energy to build it. But... Uh, we are impatient people, right? Most entrepreneurs are. And <laughs> we wanted to say that, you know what? How much time can we crunch? And we were taking almost four months to build a simulation. And John was always in this idea, you know what? Can we bring it down to 45 days uh, or 40 days? Because you know what? That would be the sweet spot. And our product team took it as a challenge. Uh, we launched our uh, content authoring platform, uh, I think in December 2019. And uh, it brought it down from four months to two weeks. So that's a big wow. achievement for us because uh, that kind of gave us the pace that we always wanted for us to, you know what, grow. And you know what, say that, you know what, this is not just a company which has this many products and ca can cater to only a very niche. He said that, you know what, now we can build products at a much faster pace with the quality standards of our liking, with the uh, uh, kind of experience that we wanted to give. 
and uh, it it was kind of a big thing for us and everybody played part it's not just the product team right product engineering of course are the people who worked on it right we needed a lot of inputs from what market is looking for uh, what kind of things will sell in the market and uh, it was a big mm-hmm. joint effort from all of us so that was a big achievement for us uh, i think that was the biggest high because uh, once you launch something and then you see it working seamlessly nothing better that than that but that's phenomenal and i'm sure you'll have ambition sets for the future so take us through them what 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 does the future look like for you so richa as you all uh, know we always targeted global customers right from day one and we are fortunate to have some of the world's largest companies working with us uh, so from a vision perspective uh, we uh, have always tried to transform the entire learning landscape and make it very easy for anyone to move up the skill curve right okay. uh, so if you look at uh, uh, the entire landscape out there you know there are more than 20 different you know, major industries and each industry has about 150 unique roles and each role has 30 different skills that people need to know and each skill mm-hmm. you can say at least about five proficiency levels Uh, so if you multiply the numbers that works out to be a combination of 450000 different combinations right so that's the landscape that we are working on uh, and our aim is to be able to make each of those combinations into a very easy to understand uh, and easy to learn uh, and easy to apply kind of skill uh, for uh, you know anyone in the workforce right so that's the larger picture that we are working on and there's been a lot of technology investment that we've done a uh, lot of ai has come into how this process happens mm-hmm. uh, so we spend a lot of time observing how people learn uh, observing why they don't learn uh, and where they get stuck uh, and where they get stuck in applying these skills on the at the workplace uh, so we've seen that continuum for quite some time and we uh, over a period of time productized uh, each element of that workspace right each element of that uh, you know a uh, journey and we have tried to make it easy for people to learn a lot right so that's that's been the journey mm-hmm. and uh, it's a very ambition ambitious vision uh and uh, as we mentioned you know as an entrepreneur you're always impatient to have achieved your vision yesterday uh right so that's that's the part that we and you know the entire paradigm team is currently on so uh you've always been very adventurous i think you all we probably just got the tip of the iceberg on this podcast but i'm very curious about one question you all have been friend turn founder do you all fight i also want to know just like you'll come up with solution in business how do you all come up with solution in this friendship and that's a good point uh, and i think it's a very important question that any aspiring founders also should look at uh, in so uh, you know the one there was one uh, you know advisor who ca- came once and told me that uh, you should look for three three c's when you look for a founder chemistry okay. uh, co- competence and complementarity right and i found that very interesting Ooh. okay that sounds very interesting right because many times what happens is you end up looking for people like you uh when you start up uh, and then you realize that you guys are both good at the same skills but you don't have comp- you don't have complementary skills um, or you realize that a founder was not as competent in something as they should have been or you realize that the chemistry between the two of you uh, 
uh, is not as high as it should be. Uh, and this is a pretty tough journey, right? There's a lot of ups mm-hmm. and downs. Uh, so it's it's every day is either an up or a down, right? It's not a level, uh, very. Uh, it's not an emotional level playing field ever, right? But I think if you right. have, you know, the basic trust uh, in the founding team uh, that you're there to watch each other's back, and if you're not, uh, you know, going to be very critical about what's what went well, uh, and neither are you get, going to get too excited about any of your great ideas you know i think uh, trying to make that emotional playing field a little more level really helps and one of the things that we learned over a period of time is that you know when you plan do it dispassionately when you execute it do it passionately Uh, when you review again do it dispassionately right Uh, so you need to keep that mindset in the way you come in for each of those stages Right, and many times the mistake we make is that we become very emotional and very uh, charged up and passionate while planning. Uh, you know, uh, because planning is a very easy stage, right? You, you, it's very easy to make a plan, right? And then when you execute, you realize that you are not able to achieve the outcome, uh, so that you plan for, and then you get disheartened, and then all the energy drains out. Uh, and then when it comes to review stage, then everyone is again very charged up. Right, so if you see, that's how you you normally end up. But if you can flip that, right, very consciously, and uh, invert the emotion cycle in that, then that actually reduces a lot of uh, you know a lot of friction, right? And I think friction is good actually because you need uh, you need uh, multiple thoughts, you need uh, different kind of ideas to come in. You don't want everyone to just say yes, 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 and then paper over uh, a problem. Right. So there are many meetings that we do where uh, we th- or I would deliberately come in and take a contrarian stance. Not because uh, we, uh, you know, we just want to create uh, friction, but because we understand that that's very essential to the best ideas finally getting, you know, uh, getting executed. Right. Uh, but we know it's we we are trying to do it very deliberately. Right. Um, right. Right. Yeah. So if you can. Look at this, you know, plan dispassionately, execute passionately, but review dispassionately. I think that itself solves uh, some of your problems. Uh, so I think, yeah, that's that's my take on this. Wait, what, what, what's yours? Anything you would like to add? Also, there, there are a lot of things, right? The thing is, as John said, friction is important because without friction, we don't push the envelope enough, hard enough. Right? And that's what the job of a founder is. Uh, but... Uh, there are a few things, very simple, basic things, right? See, ego is your worst enemy. It's not just for entrepreneurship. Anywhere you go, <laughs> if you go with an ego that my idea is the greatest idea, that doesn't work. Anywhere, right? Not just here, in life. Uh, second, as I said, right? Uh, entrepreneurs are very impatient people. Uh, we are impatient for the results. But mm-hmm. when the process is going on, you can't be impatient. You need to be patient in that. That That's mm-hmm. very, very crucial uh, for us to, you know what, patiently wait because whatever John mentioned the steps, right, they are not, <laughs> they will not happen in an instant, right? It takes time for it to happen. So, so that's, that's very, very critical. And the third is you always need to say, you know what, we are working towards a common goal. When the goal mm-hmm. is common, uh, the frictions are just to, uh, you know what, get you to higher speed, that's it. So, 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 right. so the, the, that's, that's, that, that's the thing, right? And, uh, 
as i always say right there are always two types of issues uh, compass issues and clock issues compass are the ones which gives us direction and if the direction is clear right clock mm-hmm. issues will get resolved because uh, mm-hmm. clock issues are very very uh, for a very time specific uh, operation you you just keep on working towards them but if the dar- so the we, we are always clear on direction so that okay. that never le- leads us us anything yeah you are still friends so Yeah, yes. everything that you're doing is still working. <laughs> yes, it's absolutely. It's right here. Yes. No, but thank you so much. Many takeaways, great lessons to take away from this podcast. Thank you so much for your time, John and B. It was a delight having you, and um, look forward to having you again on a new subject, a new anecdote. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.